Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, we know most media companies and agencies are moving fast on attention metrics, and most are using one or a combination of several attention firms that are rolling out systems globally. Amplified Intelligence out of Australia and Lumen and Playground XYZ from the UK are leading that charge. But the out-of-home sector is zigging while others are zagging. Nearly a year after the OMA, that's the Outdoor Industry Body, announced its members were collectively applying a neuro impact factor score to all screens and billboards from February this year. Agency take-up has been slow and out-of-home operatives have been a little too nervous perhaps about pushing the innovation in the market. That's if Avenue C's managing partner, Pia Coleman, is right. Pia also sits on the OMA Futures Council, so she's got good visibility on the market's behaviour. It does seem a little strange, actually, then, that for an academically peer-reviewed methodology around neuroscience, born out of early work in universities understanding ADD and ADHD in children, that advertisers and their agencies have been slow on the take-up of a development designed to improve advertising effectiveness. The idea of the neuro impact factor is to determine how different out-of-home formats can affect long-term memory encoding for a particular brand. Now, in layman terms, that means advertising effectiveness and sales lift. So on the mics today, joining Pia Coyle, who, by the way, is refreshingly candid on the state of play of this one, but also bullish on the possibilities, is NeuroInsight CEO Peter Pinter and Grant Gesden, who's the OMA's lead on Move and the Neuro Impact Factor. So welcome to you all. I'm intrigued and want to get under the hood on this one. Pia, to you first. Um, you're a fan of what the OMA is doing with this, but there's a problem in the market at present. Um, what is it, Pierre, and why? And welcome. Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm definitely a fan of the neuro impact factor, and I think there's many reasons why. One of them is that it is a different and um, very important way of looking at outdoor rather than just looking at, you know, reach and um, a bit of, bit of a blunt object there. So very much a fan, but we've talked about this a lot, Paul. Uh, I think there is definitely a delay in how the industry has adopted this metric, and I think there's a few different reasons why. I've had a chat to a few of my uh, agency colleagues uh, who work at my agency and different agencies to try and get a view on that and also some of the media owners. And I think what I'm going to talk about today is probably there's some unspoken stuff, I think, what in terms of what's happening here. So I think generally speaking, a new metric is always a little bit slow to be adopted because people are very much set in their own ways and like to use things that they've used for a very long time. Their clients understand those old metrics. So there's a bit of that. But I also think there's a little bit of uh, what do we do with this thing and who's going to, you know, start using it first, I think is probably a bit of a Mexican standoff happening. I was just going to use those words. We are aligned, Pierre, on the Mexican standoff. Yes, good. Okay. So I think generally speaking from an agency point of view, there is a little bit of hesitation in market about what the neuro impact factor might mean to rates. And what I mean when I say that is, you know, is a really great NIF score going to mean that a media owner is going to is going to try and push a premium onto a client in a negotiation. So I think there's definitely a bit of hesitation in, you know, using that uh, terminology and what that means because we don't want to upset the way pricing happens in um, in current negotiations. That's even if it works better, right? So even if there's better efficacy on the stuff, there's still a concern it's isolating price out of effectiveness. 
Yeah, that, that is an interesting point because I think generally speaking, a good media practitioner who is working, you know, truly on behalf of their clients will pay more for something that is more effective. And I, and I hope that that is the case across the board because I think that's what keeps our industry uh, going. You know, great client results is what we should all be aiming for. But I think there has to be give and take. And I think agencies are always a little bit skeptical about whether a price goes up in one area, does it come down in another area? Or is it, you know, is it only good for, you know, when there needs to be a premium applied versus when there needs to be a further discount applied, right? So here's the Mexican part, right, Pia? Yeah. Um, Here's the Mexican part, which is that you've got the agencies going, careful prices don't want to go up. But I think you think as well, on the sell side, on the media owner side, they're concerned that maybe prices will go down for formats that may not deliver as well as other formats. I think that's where you think this tension's going. Exactly. So Mexican food and the popularity of the side, there is a problem. Yeah, there is, because I think media owners are a little bit hesitant too to work out how this should be applied, if at all, on their end. And I think that really differs by media owner. Like you can talk to you know anyone from any of the big guys all the way through to the smaller players and they're wondering where this is going to go, I think, is probably the biggest question. Like, how should I use it? Are my competitors using it? What do the agencies think? No one's just diving in. And I think that's probably now, now's the time for that, you know? Like, it's, it's got some really big wins to be had for clients, I think, if we all just get our shit together and start talking about it. And I think more often than not in this industry, we don't just play with stuff and break it and then work it out together. And I think that's what this needs. I think it needs just a bit of a safe space for everyone. And so just on that, the the neuro impact factor itself, the results and what it's showing and throwing up based on different formats, you think it's valid, right? It's some good stuff here that says, okay, maybe just for the listener, what is it doing that's better than what was before it or without it? Yeah. So I think the first thing that it's got going for it is that Peter and his team have been doing this for a very long time in the world, but also in the advertising space. So I think there's definitely, there was instant credibility around around it because of that. So I think that there was a real hurdle overcome really, really early. Like people sat there and went, okay, I'm into this. I understand it. I'm going to be leaning in. What it does try and do is it tries to really separate out by format what impact that format is having and there's been really big questions, you know, especially around digital, for example, you know, agencies and clients are always talking about how that digital rotation affects their reach. And, uh, you know, is it more or less impactful given the, you know, the fact that it's lit up or the fact that there's moving imagery and all that sort of stuff. So being able to start to quantify that, I think is really important. I don't think it gives the full picture, but it definitely gives a better picture than what we had before. I also think there's a bit of scepticism. Again, this is probably a bit of an unsaid thing, but, you know, a bit of scepticism around whether it was born to just justify the importance of digital outdoor and, you know, the premium that that already carries because you're paying effectively, you know, sometimes in some cases you're paying a static rate for something that's one in 10 or, you know, that is definitely reduced in terms of its, you know, the way it shows up in market. So I think there's some scepticism from agencies and clients around whether it, this was built for that. Mm. Which, by the way, most media methodologies and currencies are. I mean, the irony there is, of course, that um, you know, YouTube and Google will produce some data that not many people challenge. Just take it on board, and it does justify the cause for that particular channel. So I guess my, my, just my observation there is 
you know, it would be silly to think that most of these methodologies aren't there to substantiate something that hopefully <laughs> holds up the, uh, the, the qualities of the channel in question. I, it's a comment more than a question, I think, Pia. Totally agree with that. And I think, you know, rather than coming at it from a scepticism point of view or from a untrusting point of view, it's like, how can I use this information that's way richer than what we had before, that someone's paid lots and lots of money to create for us? How can I use it to my advantage? And I think both media owners and agencies aren't really doing that yet with the NIF. Like there's a lot of upside here if we just all peel back the crap and just try and figure out the best way moving forward and how to use this for clients. Just out of interest, um, your people at Avenue C, are they using neuro impact factor in, in your business? Yeah, it's a bit of a mixed bag, to be honest. Like I think everyone goes, that's interesting to have there. And I look at it, I glance at it, I figure out you know, it validates my gut feel. A lot of people tell me we're, we're a very experienced business. Everyone in our business has been around for a long time. And so what I hear a lot is... But not old. No, not old, just experienced. Okay. You know, that a lot of the times it's like, yeah, that, that shows me what I thought was the case, right? So it's good at validating, but it's not taken that step further in terms of a negotiation yet from what I've seen. Peter Pinter, uh, blind us with the science here. Um, give us a quick wrap, really, on the. You now, many people are across neuroscience and what you've been doing for, gosh, it must be the best part of 10, 12, 15 years. I don't know. Um, but give us a quick wrap on the neuroscientific underpinnings of how it works and, and how it's supposed to work. I think uh, you argue, for instance, that a glance can work wonders for an advertiser, just a glance. But the underpinnings first, Peter, ADD, ADHD, and kids, really interesting science way, way back, right? Yes, thanks, Paul. And with the same candor, I guess, um, whilst I think this is certainly a paradigm shift, I would just implore buyers and sellers alike just to get on with it. As Pia said, use it, try and break it. If you want another paradigm shift, we see sophisticated marketers, yes, using reach and frequency, but also moving into the richer, fertile area of effectiveness and ROI. And I think if if you don't use it, you're throwing away your ticket to have a genuine discussion about effectiveness. If you don't use it, you certainly wouldn't want to complain about rising media CPM inflation because the NIF gives you another valuable lens upon which to evaluate your out-of-home investment. So finally, I guess um, if I was any out-of-home advertiser, I'd implore them to be asking their creative and media agencies and vendors, you know, how have we insured that this investment is likely to work. And that's exactly what the Neuro Impact Factor does. It gives you another lens on how things work. And just to be clear on this, the, the format you're talking about with the Neuro Impact Factor, this is about what is it measuring? It's measuring, you just touched on it, mental um, long-term memory encoding. Yes. And long-term memory encoding has a link to... Yeah, well, I, I think that the two main constructs that go into the Neuro Impact Factor and of course, what we do when, we, when we're measuring brain activity is, is we're measuring sort of um, things like general attention, visual attention, emotional intensity, engagement, but the jewel in the crown is long-term memory encoding. Like if your ad does not get committed to long-term memory, um, whether it's conscious or subconscious, and of course, 95% of that uh, storage is actually subconscious. So that's the big catch. So the neuro impact factor over the years has been has been distilled to reflect client outcomes, client sales, that type of thing, and the, and the correlation's about an 85%, so it's quite high. But the, the major constructs or the major pieces are long-term memory encoding and emotional intensity. They are the two big, big constructs that go into it. And it's a blend, it's a blended metric. 
And I'm just going to pull you up there because I just want to make sure that people understand the science in this. And, and essentially, when you talk about long-term memory encoding, well, how the hell can you measure long-term memory encoding? But this is the, the technology uh, that you have, which essentially measures electrical activity in different parts of the brain and different parts of the brain serve different functions um, for we humans. Did I get that marginally right? Correct. No, more than marginally, Paul. Now, that's um, that's essentially what it is. Like, okay, so that's a good question, um, and it's an important underpinning to what we're talking about here. And so we're talking about validation now, and validation is crucially important if we're going to be making the claims that we make about, well, its effectiveness, its impact. Two layers of, of, of that validation. There's the scientific validation that says if we think we're measuring memory, you know, does the neuroscience community around the world acknowledge that and that and that is a big tick and a big green light so yes the you know, when we say memory we actually are measuring the areas of the brain that are associated with the storage of memories in the moment as you experience them so that's been um scientifically validated and then of course you've got the commercial validation which we now as practitioners in marketing and advertising are probably more interested in you know what's so what does it mean a movement of the dial does it move does it mean behavior change? Well, yes, it does. So now that validation comes from the correlation with, with various marketplace performance metrics like econometric modeling. And over the years, we've, we've partnered with clients who have got that data. Um, and you know, we, part of the launch with the OMA 12 months ago was showing some of that data at the launch. So where we had sort of correlation charts between the neuro impact factor and, uh, and sales in market. So number one, scientific validation. Number two, commercial validation. And once you've got those in place, you've got the underpinnings for what we now call the neuro impact factor. Okay. And each of the um, out-of-home formats, whether it be digital or uh, static, is measured with a neuro impact factor score. And is that so look, if it's 110 on an index of 100, it's going to do better if certain formats will do, will do better, right? Uh, yes, yeah, exactly. Like it's a, it's generally a scale from between, well, it's a generally a scale starts at one, goes to about six or seven. If you're familiar with using Move software um, in the top right-hand corner, you'll get a score like 3.5 for classic, and you might get 4.5 for your digital component. And then that, that's averaged out and netted out to a score. So as simple as that sounds, that kind of is the um, is the proof that that this stuff is getting your ads into into the doorway to memory, uh, and then it's a question of how you use the the software, or maybe compare two two campaigns or three campaigns. And we get back to Pia's point about okay, so why don't we just blast through this and just start using it, and you know, kind of put it to its test. But that's what it's essentially designed to do is give your campaign an impact factor, and then you can start to go from there. With all this conversation around attention and the neuro insight uh, methodology that is used by neuro insight strangely enough is how does this differ uh, from much of the attention debate that's raging uh, at the moment globally at a kind of different level but um, what's different about this what's different about what you're doing with neuro impact factor neurosciences um, methodologies versus the other attention measurement systems that we're seeing emerge globally um, with some pace and gusto yeah, fair enough, Paul. That, that is a, a pretty common question that, that we get from clients, agencies uh, and sort of media companies alike. Look, the attention debate has started a movement. There, there's, there's no question about it. And the movement is good because the movement is towards the quality of media, which has been a long, long time coming. And that quality of media debate is not necessarily answered by reach or frequency. However, 
attention is not necessarily impact. And this is the really important distinction. Uh, I think I mentioned a little earlier, we, we actually measure visual attention, general attention, which actually um, don't really form the neuro impact factor. And the reason why that is, is because it takes you a little closer to impact, about 15%. So we find that like something like a visual attention metric explains or correlates uh, with um, long-term memory uh, about 15%. So it takes you a little way to the end game, if you like. So that's that's the important distinction between attention and, and impact. And look, the reason why that is, is because we're often asked this question too, is that there's a lot that happens between an eye gaze and what gets into long-term memory encoding. So attention is essentially derived from an eye gaze, which uh, you, yeah, and you all you have to do is ask Karen Nelson Field or Lumen or X Y Z that um, it's a it's a variant of um, you know that that particular technology, which is highly scalable. So it's easy to, to gather and to distribute. Is it impact? No, it takes you a little way closer. So that's the important distinction, I guess. Um, there, there's a lot that has to happen between what you look at and what actually finally gets into long-term memory. And of course, you know, there are other constructs. And I think we've had this fairly robust conversation on numerous times, Peter, about this, where, I, you know, I'm trying to still unpack, I'm no, I'm no expert, but from the you know, outside observer's position, it seems to me that the, we've got sort of the holy grail here, if you like, of impressions, which is essentially opportunity to see. You have the attention metrics that are coming through now that will tell you whether the eye glanced and the, and the opportunity to see it was seen and then neuro and neuro insight and those sorts of methodologies to help determine the, the net impact of that. Um, so there's almost three layers of this and it's kind of, it's, I guess, reflective of how, how, you know, sophisticated and complex the media and advertising and marketing game is getting is that it, we have those, those three stacks and we're trying to work through how to use them all. Is that a reasonable observation? And you are welcome to say, I am full of it. <laughs> no, I wouldn't say that, Paul. No, I think that's more than reasonable. Again, it's a bit like the evolution I was talking about a little earlier. Um, it, it is a movement and it's a good movement um, it, uh, and long may it live. I think we just need to sh um, be completely uh, open and transparent about what it is and what it's not. And in fact, uh, we too in neuroscience are, are very, very clear about what we are and what we're not. I think that's that's more than balanced. We've actually written that up in a, in a white paper. I'm very, very happy to share that with clients and agencies that, that ask us that, that same question. So yes, look, it's a it's a continuum, and of course, agencies are very interested in um, in, in actually what, you know what actually does move the needle in terms of outcomes um, and ROI and effectiveness for clients. And this isn't the end of the debate. The whole discussion around combinations of mediums and combinations of out of home formats will then be the next evolution. So I, I just think we need to pace ourselves because we're still talking about what we're talking about now. But I think it's pretty exciting. There's a lot more to be had. Before we get to the ever patient Grant Gesden, I just wanted to ask one more question, uh, which is around creativity. So you've applied a, an impact factor to a format that excludes the creative impact. Please explain, as maybe Pauline Hanson would ask. <laughs> of, of course. <laughs> How do you detach creativity from the format? Yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of money. That, yeah. <laughs> there we go. It, it, that was Grant yes. coming in with the budgets. Thanks, Grant. That, that's uh, that's the easy answer. Yeah. Look, it's scale. It, it's size, it's sample, it's scale, it's it's doing it enough times to eliminate any, any one piece of creative or any any kind of national campaign that we may have picked up from the likes of a Telstra or a you know a fast food company. So 
it really is just a matter of doing it a number of times um, around the country by a number of formats. And therefore, what you're doing is you're looking at um, by a process of elimination almost, you're, you're actually eliminating any one creative or campaign and then you're starting to talk about the format rather than the campaign. So yeah, now look, it's possible to actually generate an NIF on a creative and that's just a completely separate design and a completely separate study. But yeah, we're talking about the format rather than the creative, you can be pretty assured of that. Now you're a media uh, agency, peer, so you're not too worried about creative, but are you okay with detaching creative from the channel and how this is done is uh, robust enough for you? We'd actually prefer it to be the way Peter's done it because we can take all the subjectivity of creative out of it and at least understand just from a format point of view what's creating the biggest impact. That said, we would love something that showed uh, what creative works and what doesn't because that is a constant conversation with us clients, our creative agency partners. You know, we're all trying to work out exactly what the best, you know, most magical combination of things is in terms of creative and it's it's one of those things that I think is not easily answerable. Grant, Pierre made some really interesting points at the top. Are they valid in terms of what's happening with, with the market reaction and take up of the neuro impact factor at the moment to date? I would suggest they are valid. I mean, if we go back, I mean, we know that moves in the marketplace now has been the marketplace for 12 years, but if we go all the way back to 2010, when move launched. And just for the audience that may not know, what does move do really, really quickly? measurement of outdoor visibility and exposure and what we are actually measuring is attention already so we've been doing that since 2010 so we haven't talked to our audiences about the opportunity to see we've been applying the visibility audience factors to report the likelihood to see so our audiences have already taken into account what is the glances that are occurring on out of home and the research that we then undertook with peter is to say well let's take those attention to the signs and let's put some impact to them so, you know, if we go back to 2010, it was probably not until 2012 before you start to see, you know, an uplift in people using the, the MOVE system. The amount of people that we had logging on day one didn't change for the first couple of years. And then we've seen a, a steady growth in, in usage of the MOVE system to, you know, where we are now um, preparing and building MOVE 2.0, which will mean that we will have all formats measured and we'll be measuring with seasonality. So we'll move away from the average typical week we have at the moment to actually have variation across the year according to school holidays, public holidays and the weather. So I take your point on, on the take up of MOVE, for example, it was it was slower in the first couple of years, which may suggest it was time to for, for you know buying and planning behaviour to, to shift. And it did. Pierre is saying, though, I mean, I, I like the Mexican standoff scenario where at the moment part of it is market behaviour and just getting uptake and getting understanding and awareness of how it's being used. On the flip side, Pierre also says that maybe buy side don't want to pay too much more, sell side as in the owners, media owners, the out-of-home operators, perhaps, oh, what's going to happen to pricing? That Mexican standoff, um, uh, do you want to challenge Pierre on that? Please feel free. No, I'm not going to challenge Pierre on that. I mean, the media oh, buyers, damn. the media buyers, you know, their job is to buy it for as cheap as they can, and the media sellers is to sell it for as much as they can, and that hasn't changed since I worked in agencies in the 80s and 90s, and won't change in the next 20 years with or without the the neuro impact factor. Look, I think we're still, um, as an industry, trying to see where it sits. To Peter's point, you know, we've got reach and frequency, which is attention based. And now we've got an impact score on that attention. And it's, it's that moment where we're saying, okay, 
What I can start to see is, you know, if I'm looking to do a traditional type of buy, what sort of NIF scores do I want to achieve there? I might be going for a lower NIF score because, you know, I'm going to be having an ongoing presence across an entire lunar cycle versus I might, you know, with the digital, we know it's got a higher NIF because of the light, the movement. And we also know that illumination at night is an important movement of vehicles, uh, moving vehicles, advertising such as buses and trams is important, a whole range of different things. But, you know, what we're starting to see is that, you know, perhaps there is the opportunity here to say, well, I can now, you know, use it more tactically to start saying, well, I'll get a higher NIF when I want to do a tactical campaign on a, on a programmatic or a digital sign versus, you know, how I want to, how I want to position my more traditional, you know, um, street furniture and, and, and billboards and the like. So, you know, I don't think we have the answer for it yet. And it's good to see that some people are starting to look at it. I mean, to Pia's point, when she said, you know, it helped validate what they were thinking, which is, you know, one of the benefits that Move had. And now, you know, the benefit that the NIF will have is that, you know, we've got a generation of buyers that don't have the experience and wisdom of having bought traditionally out of home, a traditional out of home or linear out of home for, you know, a decade or more. And, you know, Move was able to give them information about a market they may not be familiar with or a road or an area they may not be familiar with. And now what the NIF can do is add to that and say, well, now I can tell you a bit about the formats that you may not have understood before because all formats are slightly different, whether they're in the same environment or not. You know, street furniture is not the same as a billboard and, you know, you move into the the retail environment or some of the place-based environments in the room. I think if we go all the way back to when we launched Move, Richard Herring would say all all impressions are not equal, and you go well. Now we can start to justify. Yes, all impressions are not equal. Mm. Well, I love I love the the term the NIF. It sounds like something out of some sort of I don't know Christmas movie or something. But the NIF. Listen, um, I do want to ask you one of the sort of the ongoing discussions now as the out of home sector has moved and increasingly moves to digital screens and digital formats is this this ongoing um, discussion around whether digital screens are more are more impact than static and some advertisers like the static because of the rotation issue that um Pia talked about earlier um where you know you're getting multiple spots um impressions for different advertisers in a, in a rotation on a digital screen you don't have that on a static screen however the nif throwing out some new insights on the efficacy and impact of static versus digital screens i think grant uh, definitely. You know, what we are seeing is that on average, digital screens in a like-for-like scenario, you know, same sort of size, same sort of environment, are delivering 63% more impact than their classic counterparts. And that is being driven by the rotation between the advertising. So whilst you are sharing the screen with another advertiser, it is the, the flip to your ad, if you like, that is actually increasing and contributing to the impact, as is the illumination of those screens. Peter, can I ask you on that? So is it just the neurologically, what is going on there? Is it simply just that there's a change in in attention stimuli that brings you back into the next rotation of the ad? Is that what happens or what happens here? Essentially, yes, you're right. Um, it is it, like I'm, I'm aware that, um, you know, from a media sort of reach and rotation point of view, it's it's been, a, it's been an issue that's been hotly debated. But the sheer change from one piece of stimulus to another in your environment actually elicits quite a significant trigger. You know, and again, there are other factors that um, that we've kind of unpacked and discovered in terms of the illumination, you know, sort of factor of a of a sort of like a lit up screen and all that type of stuff. But yeah, one of the main things that I think we've overlooked or just not appreciated until you shine a light like the neuro on it is that if you're looking at it in a second by second basis, 
from one second to the next, from one ad to the next, you um, you know that that goes a long, long way to explaining that 63% factor that Grant was talking about a moment ago. So a simple change, and and there you have it. It, it elicits a significant trigger. Pia, what happens when you hear that as a buyer? When you hear 63% increase just in the neurological activity in the brain from a change in a frame, if you like and the difference between you know static and, and digital and the rotations. As a media buyer, what do you think? It's definitely important and interesting, and I think it shifts the conversation from this really pointy and negotiation conversation that we've been having all podcasts into a planning conversation. And I think understanding you know the consumer and how they consume the media that we're buying is really really important from you know what combination is going to do the best job for um, for the client's brief. So it definitely factors in for us, but it factors in really like really way up early in the in the process and um, in the strategic process and the planning process. You know, I'm sitting here as an agency person uh, falling back in love with neuro and thinking like we need to use it more and all that sort of stuff. But I'm also thinking as an agency person, we want more. And we always want more, right? That's what makes us agency people. So we're sitting here going, we love that we can do three move runs and compare the difference, you know, across formats. What we'd really love is to have all the information at our fingertips that we can use it to create better planning decisions. And so that that's not a dig at you guys, because I know that there are... No, you know, well, well, I could have a dig back. Why don't you use what you bloody got, Pia? I know, about that one? I know. <laughs> Hey, we want to. But I take your point. Take your point. I do want to ask on Grant's point, though, up here on, you know, the market take up for move was a two to three year proposition. And whether that's a valid get out of jail card from Grant on why the market's not necessarily taking it up like it is, but it's, it takes some time to get a new planning tool and a buying tool, perhaps into the systems of agencies and buyers is that it could it be that rather than just the you know the, the Mexican standoff that I don't want to let go of by the way I like it oh no I think that's definitely like it's definitely a valid issue right but then what, what you're looking at is a tool that hasn't changed too much but there's one new bit right so we should be really like adopting it more quickly than we have been so I think the Mexican standoff still still sticks around I also think you know, as agency people, we all have heaps of stuff going on. No excuse because we love to talk about how busy we are. But it <laughs> takes a certain person in an agency or, you know, to go or a client that's hearing this podcast to say, what's the impact factor of that? Mm, right. You know, we need to ask the question more. And I think then once people have to answer the question, you're going to bloody look at it. Three words. What's the NIF? Yeah. That's all you need to ask. Yeah. Sorry, Grant, you're about to say something in, insightful rather than... Well, I, I suppose one of the questions that I've been asked a lot is, and Peter can help me answer this, because, I mean, people always go, well, I've got a NIF score, but what's a good NIF score? Ah. Yeah. Mm. And I and I always sit back and go, well, if you've got a NIF... Well, so, I mean, Peter didn't go into it, and we've got plenty of, plenty of charts to show up, but, I mean, basically the way the NIF score is calculated is, you know, put the device on the head measure the brain waves, and when they hit a threshold of 0.7 on a scale of 0 to 1, you record it and say there's a peak in the in the activity, and that is now getting into long-term memory encoding. And, you know, the NIF score is, is a combination of all those peaks and the strengths of those peaks. So I sort of sit there and go, well, if you've got a NIF score and you're above 1, you've managed to make it into memory encoding, and if you've got a 3 or a 4, you're getting in more. So, yeah. I mean, an effective NIF score is you have a NIF score or a neuro impact factor in the first place because we don't measure the stuff that didn't go in. Well, it's important. It's an important point. So essentially, you start getting into memory encoding on the NIF when you get to one. Is that right, Peter? 
what Grant said. Yes, like it is a, a one to six scale or thereabouts. So it is possible to put, you know, if we want to database that, to put um, percentiles on it and to look at ranges or even colours. We could even colour the, the, the data or where your campaign sits. It probably, look, the thing is, you know, we tend to get sort of lulled into this debate of good or bad. Um, now, nothing is either good or bad. It's probably, it's all working. It's all getting in. Uh, maybe you need to make a decision as to, for your dollars, um, is it getting in to the extent that you would like? And can that be optimised by looking at, as Pia said, maybe two or three different campaigns and going, okay, for my dollar? Or, as Grant said, um, I don't think anything is as binary as it's good or it's bad. It's ba it's basically, what's my strategy? There is a strategy for long-term continuity, which maybe classic is better suited for. Or is there an, an immediate sugar hit that your campaign needs to achieve? Like, you know, you, you have to get in before June 30, in which case you need high impact, high visibility, and you need the sugar hit of, of say, a digital high impact, high NIF campaign. So I think it really gets back to your strategy in, in its for your given dollar. Is it working to my satisfaction? And by the way, can I just throw the throw the challenge out there? Um, you know, we're debating this, which is fantastic. This, this debate's so rich, but it does lay the challenge out to any other medium that simply doesn't have a score that talks to impact, you know, and they're still using the old big grey battleships of reach and frequency. I, I think it is transformative in as far as that it does actually bring a third point to the triangle, and that is it does genuinely. On this editorial podcast, I think you managed to get a plug in there, Peter Pinter. You'd be very <laughs> careful. This is this is independence. I'm talking in all purity. <laughs> this is not a plug. This is not a plug. It's just another point around the slowness of the uptake and maybe some resistance. Global and audited business. It, there's a bit of hesitation from an agency point of view, again, probably mostly unspoken, you know, in the industry around introducing new methodology or new KPIs because they're already, there's a lot to, to deliver on in terms of reach and frequency metrics or whatever the client's um, global and local goals are. And so bringing in not just the NIF, but other, you know, other KPIs, it takes a while because agencies don't want or need another thing to have to deliver another movement yeah 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 get it um and look i've got an idea and it's here it's coming out and it's original so you can have this it's on me i think you need to build something that's kind of like a fomo inspired big nif index so that everyone can compare good nif to their good who's the, who's got the greatest nif and i think if you think about humans that's where they move that's where you move behavior now that aside grant i did want to get to um, a couple of more points before we get to some key watchouts from all of you. Um, the first is, uh, I think, so what you're doing in Australia, is it a global first or the scale of it is a global first? What Something happened in Toronto in the, in the, in the grand um, out-of-home conference, I think, where you swamped and people wanted your autograph or something. Oh, always. Um, no, seriously. Uh, look, I mean, there certainly has been, I mean, we're not using a metric that has not been used before, like Peter will, will attest that, you know, it's a media agnostic metric and it's been used elsewhere. But we are the, the first, I would say, industry-wide, um, like to say, you know, any format um, or any media, really, uh, to use it to say, look, we're going to measure all the Australian signs and put a NIF score against them. Right. Okay. So that's the difference there. Now you've got Move 2.0 coming up. You touched on what Move 
oh or five was i think you got to 1.5 did you yeah, 1.5. We, well, we had a move and we made building a move too. And when we brought out the new digital measurement, we split it down the middle and called it a 1.5. Right. But move two is the is you know the the full digital measurement, all formats. So we'll be measuring place based environments. We're measuring regional signs. You know, we're measuring Australia wide, every state, and we're we're basically building hourly audience for each of those signs for 365 days of the year, so that we bring in the concept of seasonality. Public holidays. Did you say hourly audiences? Hourly audience numbers? Is that what you said? Well, in the background, it'll be hourly audiences. We haven't yet right. worked out what we're doing with that because we we roughly worked it out that we've got a hundred thousand signs with hourly audiences, which is the equivalent of about seventeen hundred TV stations with minute by minute ratings. So we we figure it's probably a bit too much data to just be saying to Peter's point, "Here, can I have it all?" Yes, <laughs> but we'll certainly bundle it in such a way that that it would be usable by Peter and the rest of everyone. So you know. We may be looking at weekly audiences by the time we bundle it back together until we have much faster computers than we do today. Right. Okay, well, that's a good take up. So I want to just um, get to all of you to wrap this one up on, you know, one to two key watchouts for the industry in the next 12 months. And because Pia started all this, you can have first crack, Pia. You started it, you can start it again. What are you going to say? What outrageous thing are you going to say? Oh, I feel like I've said all the outrageous things. It's definitely important for us to jump on this and understand it as soon as possible, given all the focus that is on metrics other than reach and frequency. So the challenge is out there. I think there's actually way more to gain from a media agency and a media vendor that actually adopts this early because they can then control the narrative rather than it being put on them and, you know, stuffing around with their pricing or whatever. And I would say I just hope that it helps to grow the channel, I think is probably the the biggest outtake for me. Use this power for good. Everybody, clients, agencies, and media owners. Grant, your your sort of key watchouts the next twelve months. Look, I mean, I think the key watchout on on the neuro impact factor is is similar to peers in that you know I think start to look at it and see how you can use it in different ways for different types of campaigns. Whether you're whether you're looking for a more linear buy, a programmatic buy, or however you wish to purchase out of home, and the and where in the funnel you're actually putting the out of home campaign because. Now, one of the things that I'm seeing in some of the move to survey data, like we're doing our own survey and looking at mobile data and all sorts of different things, is that where the number of trips people are making are back to the levels that they were before, they may not necessarily be going to the places that they traditionally went to, but we're making you know nearly four trips per person per day. So there's plenty of reach out there to be had without a home. So start to think about how you can use the NIF and build campaigns to increase the reach of your other media channels. Peter, final words to you in terms of key watchouts for the next 12 months. Yeah, sure. In the spirit of your candor, Paul, I, I just think it's just a, an important thing to realise that, um, you know, they're, they're, it's a continuum. Um, attention has created a movement, which is great, but there are important distinctions to be made between attention and impact. And, uh, you know, we are very, very proud of the fact that this this really talks to, you know, the, the ultimate impact and we, we, we can't wait to see where the evolution takes us. Good stuff. Well, Peter Coyle, Peter Pinter, Grant Gesden, uh, good conversation. I've learnt a lot, which is helpful uh, for someone like me. And don't forget the big NIF index. It's a winner. Uh, stay safe, guys. Thanks for joining. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Paul. Bye. Bye. This MI3 audio edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 audio edition to listen for free. Listener.